You don't want to sit on your ass doing nothing, you know. You want to do something. No kidding. Yeah, yeah you know. Well, let's get going and there's a lot to And talk that's the about. show. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank it was you. a great Phil Hendry <laughs> and his job. cast of something. <laughs> Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Phil and Ted's guest today is radio comedy legend Phil Hendry, who shares show business stories and how to make the most of the voices in your head. And now, your sexy boomer hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. Hi, Phil. Oh, hi, Ted. Do I look sexy today? Yeah, you do look sexy Good. today. It's my new haircut, I think, really. <laughs> I got it. I always I marry women who can cut my hair, you know, and and my horns for that matter <laughs> too. It's a good combination. <laughs> and joining us today is the legendary radio man Phil Hendry. Hi, hey. hi there. Hey, thank you. Real pleasure legendary. to have you. It's a pleasure to have you and everybody who comes with, with you. That goes in, inside of me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the big question I always get. I don't mean to just jump right into talking. Well, why about don't me, you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but more. Really, we don't have anything to say. I might as well. No, as. Uh, do you um, uh, you hear those voices all the time, don't you? Even when you're like making love to a woman. No, man. No. No. What the hell are you talking about? No, you know, no I, right. No, I pay a mortgage, and I, you know, I go. And to, you have to pay every one of those voices. I know <laughs> that. Have to pay all of them. That's that's tough. a true story from KFI, by the way. When I went first one on the air there, and I'm doing these voices, and the the after guy calls David G. Hall, our PD, and says. Oh, I thought you were going to pull a fast one on us. Oh, you got eight guys working on Henry's show. And David said to me later, if I'd had the presence of mind, I should have said to him, go ahead, sue us, or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. But instead, he, to- he-, he told him, you know, no, that's Henry doing all the voices. Well, you know, we-, we typically have a couple of guests with us, but then Phil and I talked about it and realized between the three of us, there's probably about 12 voices here. Yes, yeah, you're a sure. stupid fool. <clears throat> I know. It's-, it's crazy, but it's true. I was just thinking of that that. Rocky Rococo, man, when I was yeah. driving over here, getting oh, frustrated really? with something, and then suddenly I found myself thinking, doing the Rocky Rococo voice, not like you. Well, but You see, but that's the voice in the, your head. It's the voice of frustration. And, and, <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's all... And loss. Uh, uh, we're the two Phils now. Yeah. Uh, I'm a member of the Fireside Theater, which a lot of people know and a lot of people don't know, and they say, Fireside what? And uh, and I worked with Phil Austin yes. for many many years. He passed away about two and a half years ago, and I was mm. always known as the other Phil. But today, you're now the I other get to Phil. assume that mantle. I, I'm you're very proud, other. man. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I don't know how many people have never heard of Firesign because I've sung your praises down through the years. I suppose it's generational. You can't it help is. it, you know. But um, I, you know, it's it's interesting because I, f- I find that a lot now. I mentioned Firesign, they kind of go, huh, huh, and, and that's been the last ten years. It just kind of, you know. It's well, a thanks gen- for saying that. Clearly um, generational. No, I, no I, you're right. Because you're, a lot of people will say, when I was on the air, you know, people would say, well, that Phil Hendry show, like L.A.'s favorite son, all this stuff when it comes to talk radio. Now, who? Phil Hendry. Yeah, it was on like yeah. 10 years. Either man. that or, oh, my God, Phil Hendry. Yeah, yeah. You, get you know? That. Yeah. But anyway, Fireside, Fireside Theater. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little about how, how our connection to KPFK. Yeah. Which is where we're recording today. Legendary station. Pacifica yeah. station. Yeah. I was struggling, struggling for its existence, as it always <laughs> Always and, has. and we should yeah. tell people who don't know what Pacifica is. It's a nonprofit. You can say that again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, started in uh, 19... <laughs> the 50s? Late, late 50s, late I think. 50s, yeah. yeah. And uh, by a, a, a particular wealthy gentleman who had very liberal leanings. And there are about four or five stations. There are. And, and, and one is in Houston, which I was really yeah. tripping on. Oh, really? And I asked somebody, he said... I, I don't mean to be offensive, but what's a really cool liberal station? They said, this is a port city. And port cities mean longshoremen, labor unions. There's a significant bohemian presence in the city of Houston. Yeah. I wondered That's about right. that. I was, I was not aware and, of. And I did a show for 10 years on WBAI, the New York station. New York. I went yeah. to school with a guy named Paul Gorman, and he did a show called Lunch Pail on BAI for years. Yeah. And I used to phone in as various characters. Yeah. Know, <laughs> Richard Nixon, chef, you know, was a Frenchman, <laughs> things like that, and do put-ons. Now, what happened with KPFK was Peter Bergman ended up uh, pitching at a fundraiser at KPFK in the early, in the mid, mid-60s. And he had such a gift to gab, and he was so dynamic that they gave him a show. And his show was called Radio Free Oz. Oh, it was here originally. It was yeah. actually not 
physically here. Yeah, but it was in the original studios, which were on Ventura Boulevard, slightly distant from there, yeah. from here. And we sat around a, uh, oh, a velvet table with incense burning, yeah. you know, and four <laughs> microphones and a kind of subdued lighting, and uh, and we just had a ball. So, Phil, you were the in studio too. Oh yeah, because it always seemed like Peter was the guy, and then he'd have these. You were probably he was one of the, the guests. He was the twisted straight man. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and similar to the the way you handle your <laughs> somebody you know, has your to menagerie. Be yeah, somebody has to be the patsy. Yeah, you know, and I mean that formula that that you. Uh, created and I mean, you really did of being the the put upon host with all these rude crazy people creatures yeah, yeah and and the, and the thing that that I'm sure well, I don't know if it surprised you but what surprised us was that the people who were listening to our show whenever we played different crazy characters and things they thought we were real and they would call up to talk about the people that we were portraying as awesome. real people. Awesome, perfect. And, and of course, that—that's one of the reasons why those those. Uh, I didn't know that about you. I, I had no idea that that you guys were having that effect on the audience. Yeah, Bergman had yeah. the first uh, counterculture call-in talk show. Awesome. You know, he used to talk people down from bad acid trips. <laughs> really, he was that Radio Free Oz. Or that Ra was Radio Free yeah. Oz. And and when when he discovered that they were that he was a big success was when he decided to create a thing called the love in to draw oh attention to the show he created the word love in and it was in Elysian Park on Easter yeah. Sunday and he expected a couple of hundred people and we had I don't know 5000 people showed of up people showed up and then they had him in San Francisco as a result that's right it, like, it caught on and it became the country, love man. ins and all that kind of stuff but anyway uh, we we uh, discovered uh, quite early, that the art of put on was a powerful comedic instrument. It's amazing for yeah. us. And yeah. now, did you? How did you evolve into that? Well, what happened for me, Philip, is I, I was. Uh, I want to call you Philip out of respect. Well, and thank you. That's very what my much. parents call me, and my kids' sisters. And I've been uh, called Flippy. Nuns. So yeah. Well, I was called Filippio at one point. And Peanut. <laughs> but that's another story. No, I didn't make that. Uh, but uh, what happened was I started, I, I'd been doing it. I was a disc jockey and I was. I you were a disc jockey for a long 17 time. 17 years. Was, I'd like to step back for just a minute. For people who don't know, Phil, you play a straight man. Who, a bunch of characters, most of which were performed on the phone. And there's a specific reason. Number one, it's a satire of a talk show. But the phone also adds a different ambience, so that further separates you from the character. And then, as, as you guys know, uh, moving the ambience, you can be another voice. So you're doing all the characters. How did you come up with this? Well, I mean, um, as as a failed disc jockey, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And my life was really sort of the suppressed thing anyway, because I had all these crazy ideas from the time I was a kid. It was driving you I, insane. And I didn't want anybody to know how crazy I was because of my pathology of my upbringing. A lot of stuff goes mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. Then I'm listening to Firesign Theater. And I'm bringing yep. this all in and saying, if only I could do that. If only I could do that. It wasn't that I wanted to do it by myself. I said, I wish I had friends. I didn't have any friends that were that smart yeah. or that talented. That, yeah. My best friend in the world is, was a vice president of Chase, you know, so he's just retired. Funny guy, but mm -hmm. um, so I so I guess I'll have to do it myself. Literally, I began to sort of invent, well, how do you do that? And one of the, one of the things I wanted was reality. It's funny. Reality's funny to me. It's like my father was funny. My dad would lean out the car window and look at a guy walking in front of the car. You're going to get an ass full of car, you keep walking in front of one. Ooh. And he's got that look at his face like, I'm serious. And he, I just heard the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. Yeah. You're going to get an ass full of car. There's my dad right. just, what are you laughing at, you know? <laughs> so that became reality for me. So I, I learned to speak funny, but through, re, through real mm -hmm. tones and real emotions, and then take breaths. That was very key. You'd say, like, how you doing, Phil? That's kind of fake. I took a breath and I said, how you doing, Phil? But I could be saying things like, oh, I don't know. I think I'll say hi to Phil. Hi, Phil. How you doing? So I just took that breath two words ahead of it. And now it sounds like it's oh, what a so lot of people have trained. said. Not, no, you, oh, you no. Tra it's instinct. It's it instinct. is an instinct, but you do. Tra it is a but sort of a training thing. But you put yourself in a position where you could play. How characters. did you get the first break to be able to do this amazing thing? Well, I had had this failed career as a disc jockey, and I said to myself one day, literally on a train going to Portland to visit a girlfriend, I don't know where I got to go. I don't know what I got to do, but I'm going to make whatever's inside of me come out of me. And so that summer, I put together tapes as if I was going to get fired from every job I'd ever be on. And I knew I was on the right track when the PD at, uh, in Philly, Diane Rem, who ran a f 
major market station said, it's some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard. I can't use it. <laughs> I can't hire <laughs> you, you, you know? Yep. I said, aha, you know. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I went to a little station in Ventura, KVEN. I, I, I was monologuing, and then one day I heard um, something because Operation Desert Storm was happening, and I heard a guy on KABC doing an interview with Saddam Hussein, and he put his voice in a filter. It was very obvious he was being serious. He was saying, and so why did you do that? I did that because... So I thought, I wonder if I came on the air as an Iraqi and just, just did three hours as an Iraqi, you know, d- with the Operation Desert Storm building Daring. up. So I got on the air and said, uh, this is KBN in Ventura. I want to thank you to listen. And uh, Phil Henry's not here, but uh, thank you, KBN. My president, Saddam Hussein, you know, is misunderstood. Yes, and I saw yes, his picture yes. on some toilet paper, how disrespectful. Yes. And he began, and my uh, engineer, Greg Glasser's in there waving to me and saying, you got phone calls. What do you ah, want me to do with them? And that's that was that the was beginning. It, see? Yeah. And these people would call fully convinced that you were a, a, a fill-in host who was yeah. an Iraqi. And I used to listen to when yeah. outraged callers <laughs> yeah. would attack your characters. Yeah. And my God. And then commiserate with me. Yeah. Phil, yeah. I love you, but this ass, <laughs> I understand. It's yeah. terrible, you know. I know. That's yes, good. you know. That, that was so smart of you to create... The, the the vulnerable character, but then again, you had a uh, you had a manager uh, who was working for you. What was that guy's name? David G. Hall. David G. Hall, who was based on the real guy. Yeah, David yeah. David G. Hall. David right? G. Hall is a real guy. Uh, and and of course that was funny too because there were like two human beings in the studio mm-hmm. coping with all of these nutty calls. And and the other reason why it was so much fun to, to listen to the show is that you never could tell. Some of the calls sounded like put on too because yeah. they were so over the sincere, top sometimes. yeah sincerely over the top yeah. and and that, I love that so Phil you have some examples of your work I absolutely do as a matter of fact I've got one from today I have a character named Steve Bozell that I came up with I don't know why but uh, uh, I always thought the combination of anger and fear was really funny so like when you were a kid you'd meet the kid going what are you trying to do you know so he's like <laughs> he's scared but he's and Steve Bozell is kind of like the adult version of that you know and he's just uh, Ooh, you know, he's, he's, hype, he's hyped up over nothing, you know. <laughs> His kids go to this school where he's a member of the men's club, and he does a stand-up comedy act, but he can't make it onto the main stage. They still have him in the kitty corral. Oh, gosh. And, and so he's always suing people. He's always suing people for hurting his feelings. <laughs> this is the Phil Henry Show. We're talking to Mr. Stephen Bozell of Corona, California, who's suing a next-door neighbor for growing and showing him large zucchini and cabbage he says the guy is growing it in a suggestive way which i've never heard of anything like it go ahead my next door neighbor uh roy hutchins grows uh zucchini to a ridiculous size and he insists on holding it over the fence and asking me what i think all right so when he hangs that large zucchini over the fence and says have you seen what i've grown in my garden you take that as a pornographic comment and it is uh... i absolutely i think it's degrading to the children as well yes sir Let's go to Sue on the Phil Henry Show. Ms. Bozell, you there? I'm right here, yes, sir. Yeah. It's not that to interrupt, and he's being a nice neighbor. Can I ask you a question? Why do they grow them so big? Why does he grow them so big? I've seen lots of big zucchinis. (laughs) (laughs) And one of your big sponsors is the Steakhouse. Ted's of Beverly Hills, yes. And uh, Ted's of Beverly Hills, here's one here. Ted's of Beverly Hills, Steakhouse, come on down. Hey everybody, this is Ted Bell for Ted to Beverly Hills, reminding you it's Easter Sunday. Come on down and get some of that slow-cooked prime rib for the entire family. Mmm, oh, it's good. we want to put our meat in your mouth. I was there the other night, and I had, it was interesting, as he brought out a live steer, and I got to choose <laughs> the cut that I wanted. There it is. Barn to table. Yeah. The thing that impresses me is not only can you throw voices beautifully and do distinct characters, but you maintain individual continuity within all those characters and how you're obviously throwing a line while you're thinking how the guy's going to respond. Yeah, I, I just have to go back to I think it, it was all started very young when I saw this stuff and I, and I was already computing how can I make this work. And I think being an actor is a natural instinct. Yes, it is. Um, so you have to... You hone your... you got to have it already, yeah. And so you, 
you, people say, how do you know where the guy was born? I said, well, every actor writes a biography. That's for a right. You do yeah. a little backstory on it. And uh, those just developed for me, like where Bozell comes from Tennessee. I know where, you know, all these mm-hmm. guys come from. But now, did these ideas come to you at, at night or when well, you're you're awake all night pacing? Do you write them down on napkins? Yeah. How does this, how does this come to you? I, I think it came out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, on the, uh, on the Iraqi the... came out um, as a uh, as an Iraqi. The, right. the second character I, uh, I invented was a woman named Margaret Gray, who I still do, oh. and she is a woman. Now I didn't I didn't do falsetto because that's Mickey Mouse, but I went up to the very highest part of my register because mm-hmm. that sounded real. Well, you look very pretty now. Well, thank oh, you. Yeah. And um, and she came out one day when a guy had called me. Hey, Phil, I just got to tell you I love the show, and he sounded like a hillbilly and all that, and he hung up, and I just had this instinct, you know, uh, yes, ma'am. Hi, Phil. I was just listening, listening. Who is that gentleman that you just had on? He was devastating. Do you have his phone number? You know. So that's how she so happened. You're you're riffing off yourself off and of your things callers happening and... in the world. Yeah. Right, right. And Steve came out just because of that whole, um, you know, I, the whole idea of the litigious society. And you know, and... I totally understand that because yeah. that's what what Firestein did when we were doing our our local radio shows beyond KPFK on on uh, KRLA, which yeah. you mentioned, commercial station. And because uh, uh, Bergman's Radio Free Oz was very popular, it was could, big. Over he there, went man. and yeah. KPPC. We did the Fireside Theater Hour Hour. We had two hours in the basement of this the church, church in, right in Colorado Boulevard. Yeah, yeah, with our fans sitting on the the floor around us. <laughs> That's right. And a crazy engineer uh, <laughs> named uh, uh, the real Earl Jive, who would drop in sound effects and music quite <laughs> unexpectedly during <laughs> our riffs. You know, and and we all learned to become a character immediately yeah. just out of thin air yeah. and then the character would kind of define itself yeah. but what what's and some somebody of them, you saw that day or someone you saw that week yeah there was a lot happened. of observation yeah. stuff but also it was just like it, it came out of the subconscious yeah. came out of your your storehouse you know yeah. all this as you said you had to get this stuff out of out you, of you you know the characters are for me I would hear them too Ah. Like I was listening to uh, KBC or something going to KFI one night, and I heard, and there was a thing happening in the late '90s. The Valley wanted to secede from LA, <laughs> and here's this woman. Yes, my husband thinks, and it was always my husband thinks. Oh. Well, why isn't he on the thing? Uh-huh. But and she had the monotone suburban voice, <laughs> and that just bang. There, there she was. There I knew who was. she was. Yeah. These females are my mother. A lot of these women. Uh, yeah, Margaret and. And she became a character I created named Bobby Dooley. And she became very psycho- sociopathic and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a mother who would look you up and you could be telling her, I just won the Pulitzer Prize, Mom. And she's like, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> checking out your shoes, shoes you're fucking wearing. Right. Excuse my French, I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, that was Bobby, you know. Mm-hmm. And everything, mm-hmm, 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 which would drive people out of their minds, which means she's not really mm-hmm. listening, yeah. And that was just a voice. But from that voice came this life of, uh, I know where she's from, she married her, she met her wow. husband, Steve, at a beach party in Seal Beach. He was selling Darvon. Oh. No, he was selling fake IDs and doing up Darvon from the trunk of his car. Now, why did I bring that in? Because I saw that happen at Big Sur one year. Oh, okay. <laughs> some, okay. some guy shooting up Darvon and selling fake IDs. I why, why didn't you become a writer? Why didn't you, you know, start writing books it's and things? Really disciplined man to actually Sit down and do that, you know. And, right, and you're right. I wish I would have. I could, you know. That's a far more. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a career you have f- until you drop. Yeah, you it's know? true. Yeah, you know, it's actors, true. actors and voice people. You know, I mean, I'm almost eighty. And you're still cranking, and, man. And, so you know, still get opportunities to do stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and I want to ask you about Harry Shearer. Harry. Now, did did you you must have influenced Harry? Oh, he influenced me, I would say. Uh, really? Because I heard Harry on Credibility Gap. Yep. And that was, I, by the way, where Firesign Theater was working at KRLA, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, that was KRLA. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after our show, Radio Fiat show, Credibility Gap, which was Richard Beebe, who was like a news guy on, on the station. That's right. Michael McKean. David uh, Olander. David Lander, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. And they would do- Lou Irwin? And Lou Irwin, yeah. and they would do riffs on the news, yeah, and things. Yeah, those guys are uh, in that pantheon of people. Firesign Theater, uh, credibility, credibility gap, yeah. Uh, yeah. of comedy that was exactly what I wanted to do. It was topical. It it it, it was relevant. It was funny as hell. It was very hip and uh, 
and there was nothing that touched it. Not even Saturday Night Live, which came along about three or four years later, which yeah. became kind of network television. And people would say to me when I was a kid, do you want to be an actor? I said, why don't I want to do that shit? Because the only <laughs> thing I knew was stuff like, I dream of genie or something. Why, who wants to yeah, do that, you know? Yeah. So I, I never put the two together. Um, it was always for me. It was well. It was, you put it together now because you're doing dramatic and comedic roles, right? Uh, well, uh, well, I don't yes. so much dramatic, but comedic. Comedic know. roles, yeah, yeah. Character roles, and a lot of cartoon work. Yeah, and a lot of voiceover on King uh, of the Hill. King or? of the Hill. We did a lot of that. We did, just did efforts for Family. Another mm. one for a comic friend of mine who I probably can't name the project, but it's a yeah. Netflix and. Yeah, um, but that's good that you got into that. Yeah, that niche. Thank God, you know, because radio know. exploded, man. Well, now Ted can talk about that because yeah. he used to turn out radio commercials on a regular basis. He had a, a, a thriving business, and he and Peter Bergman used to do uh, trailers, radio trailers for movies yeah. all the time. Really? Yeah, we did stuff: Lord of the Rings, Spider Man, all, all the big movies for all the studios. Yeah, and uh, for, ra- for for radio, for radio, for radio, yeah. and uh, it was something Peter was doing when I came to town and he offered me you know uh the business to to go with him because he wasn't a, he was a writer not a producer sure, yeah. so that's how we came together but our company logo was radio is a heartbreak radio oh for a heartbreak. Uh, that's where that comes <laughs> from. the problem is that in the commercial side of it where i was and <clears throat> there was a, almost a renaissance during the 90s of a bunch of these crazy hosts that i knew like freddie mertz and uh uh, cats like that, and even Bubba the Love Sponge. People were doing oh, talk radio, but were uh, creating, and were doing comedy, and were doing satire. And it just like the 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 radio companies decided they could make more money, and it was safer to just go to right wing yeah. stuff. Which is, yeah. I guess, you're on AM, so it's an elderly audience, and it's more loyal, I think. And they just happen to be fascists. <laughs> and anyway, so... Uh, it was fashionable. Yeah, it was fashionable, I'm sorry. Fascist. And so what I did and what everybody else did sort of got uh, just bumped out, man. Uh, because yeah. as good as... as and, I, and I thank you, and I, and I love and respect everybody that loved my show. We were always struggling for advertisers. We were always mm. struggling for affiliates because it was... You know, it's kind of weird when you hear program directors say, I don't get it. You're in the business, oh. you don't get it. You know, come on, man. You got to be able to get it. I mean, what what it is 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 a satire of talk radio. So if you don't mind having what you just did for the previous twenty three hours or whatever satirized, yeah, it's a good thing to have on your station. Yeah, and, it, and of course it's refreshing. It's yeah. like a an amuse bouche. It went left right too because NPR I encountered more censorship of thought really? than I did in commercial radio. This doesn't belong on NPR. And, oh, uh, and yeah, it's true. And then yeah. when we were doing our comedy uh, commercial drop-ins to commercial stations, yeah. you would think there would be less freedom. But actually, the distributor said to me, I don't care what you do or what you say as long as you don't endanger my affiliates' licenses and you make me money. Yeah. This was a Procter & Bergman? That was a Procter & Bergman comedy service. Phil, it was, uh, we're talking with Phil Hendry, by the way, uh, and somebody else under the table. Who yeah. is that, by the way? Uh, is that you, Margaret? I'm, you know something, why did he point that out? Well, it's Phil's studio. I'm just surprised to I'm see. I'm sitting here and you I'm, can, there's chairs all I'm doing over my here, nails. Mark. Well, okay, all, all right. right. If you. you feel like it, crawl so over Margaret, there. Margaret, why don't you sit in a chair, Margaret? Oh, right. okay, Phil, thanks. So, so uh, Nice to see her. Yeah, it's nice to see you, but she, when you talk down to me like that, Phil, well, I know there are chairs, I know I can sit in one. Well, you can't help but talk down to her. She's under She's the under table. The table. You're on the floor. You now, know, that's good. No, that's, that's She's good. asking for it, if you forgive the expression. Do you have aspirin? Do you have a ladies' room anywhere? <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> so, no, of course, I have no idea what I was going to talk was about. Hoping, I, was, I was hoping that the general would show up. Yeah, well, General Galen Shaw is the name, and he, he actually, that is a character that morphed, uh, didn't he evolved. He started out very clipped like this. General oh, Shaw, general Shaw. film, and I, and I thought of a guy maybe on CBS with the stars and whatever the guys... And I believe that the men in formation will move into Iraq by battalion strength, and then gradually he started to get older. And, grad- and I had a, a Korean War veteran named Lloyd Bonafide, who reminded me of all the guys on my street growing up in Arcadia. You had all these cool. World War II and Korean vets. Cool. And uh, you kids, this is my property line here. When the yeah. ball comes here, it's mine. It's the 38th parallel. That's exactly right. right. Here, kids. And these are strawberries. <laughs> oh, God. You know. <laughs> and you'd sneak into the guy's garage. He had big bags of dog food and fertilizer. Just it was. Uh, oh, fertilizer. And they all had that big globe. And remember the guys with the big tattoo right here yeah, on, the, on sure. the forearm? They had those. And, yep. and Lloyd was there. So when I had to retire Lloyd because he was a Korean War veteran. I mean, these guys are in the 90s. So I created uh, uh, General Shaw, adopted much, only General Shaw's from Vietnam, and shit like that. There was a General Jameson back General General Johnson Jameson's like this. He's 
but he's nuts. He's well, <laughs> he's yeah, arts guy. Yeah. But, well, yeah. I mean, what am I saying? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the character I created was uh, General Goatheart. General Goatheart. Yes. The, I forget right. where where he was, but he <laughs> the lateral. What are you laughing at? Nothing, uh, sir. Sorry. He was very serious about his you know discipline and helping men avoid alien contact and things like that. And that character, again, it came out of just a choice of speaking. Speech, you know? exactly, and, yeah. And uh, uh, and then the rest of it, would, Ralph Spalsport came out. Oh, my God, too. I loved him. Was that he, you? Yeah. And he was, the Ralph when Spalsport. I first came out here from, from New York, <laughs> I was an actor. And at some point, uh, I turn on the television and I realized I was in an alien world <laughs> you know LA TV there the, all of the news people could do things like in my opinion the yeah, smell Bunham. like goats <laughs> and should be a, should not be allowed in movie theaters and I go what why how could they you know, do and then and then there was this guy every other commercial was hi friends Ralph Spalsport Ralph Spalsport Motors the world's largest used nude and nude lewd automobile dealership here in the city of Emphysema, emphysema yeah. let's just take a look at this yeah. beautiful completely used car and he and the camera would pan by car after car after car after car yeah. with this little elfin acres bald character yeah. acres of cars that was Ralph Williams by the way was Ralph, was Ralph Williams. Ralph Williams Ford. Ralph that, Williams Ford here in Glendale. That's, and and yeah. I, w- I just went like, what? You know, <laughs> stranger in a strange land. And so when I w- when the fire sign actually started writing together, uh, these characters had a place to go. Yes. And and also because, uh, like yourself, you, uh, many of them had evolved from interplay on the radio. We, we had characters that came out of thin air that became kind of popular and we could build well, on Nick them. Danger was huge and uh, oh did you guys so for instance how the West was lost was one of my favorite the way it opens with you know get down on your knees heathens you know yeah, what is right. why it's across the division that's of the right, universe right. into yeah. active and passive principles that's heathen right. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was did that was that a uh, was that a group effort that, no, was that a, came out of the fact that Radio Free Eyes uh, went and visited Hopi Land I was doing a movie at the time. I still had an acting career. <laughs> I was doing a movie and television stuff. And the three boys went down to Hopi Land and spent, I don't know, five, six days down there witnessing all these incredible miracles and, you know, and talking to shamans and all of that. And and often on Radio Free Eyes, they do Indian-oriented pieces to to represent the beauty of the Indian nations and what we've lost and and what their dedication is to the planet and all of that. Boy, I'm tired of pushing west. How long ago we leave Goshen? About two hours ago. Ain't we ever going to stop? Quiet down now, boys. Wagon boss. Uh, Mark, fellow settlers. Hold it down. We stand here at the edge of civilization on the banks of the Mississippi River, looking west at our destiny. What may appear to the faint-hearted as a limitless expanse of godforsaken wilderness is in reality a golden opportunity for humble, God-fearing people like ourselves and our families and our children and the generations are coming to carve a new life out of the American Indian. Welcome, white brother. Engines! Call the wagons up into a circle! You always do that. We get better reception that way. Do you mind if I put this antenna up on yonder peak? That's our sacred mountain. This is our sacred antenna. It's shaped like a cross. Made out of aluminum. Uh, got any aluminum? We've still got some corn left. Hey, corn, now we can make whiskey. We've been waiting hundreds of years for this. Here, engine, you want some fire water? No. We were warned by our elders not to drink anything that would make us weak or silly. <laughs> Put it in their well. That's not a well. It's the eye of the holy serpent mound on which you're standing. It's a butte. No, it's a mound. And right purdy, too. Can you move it? But why? Railroad's coming through. Right now. So they came out of their experiences. And then I added W.C. Fields' character to it. Are there we in go. Goshen yet? Yeah, you yeah. Know, <laughs> Redskins. And, you know, and, and again, it, it came out of uh, all of our uh, seeing all these Western movies. And okay. Yeah. It was all part of our psyche. And so yeah. it, it came out of that. That first record, 
you know, was was totally unexpected. And and uh, what, what was the name of your first album? Was it Hill? Waiting for the Electrician or Waiting someone for the Electrician. like it? That's right. And then came We're All Bozos? Uh, no, Don't Crush That. No. Don't then came uh, How Can You Be in Two Places at Once When You're Not yeah, Anywhere at All, all. Yeah. and Nick Danger, Third Eye, which was brought people to us because oh, they could understand that wasn't all, what all we were Lennon making Marks. fun of. It was, it was, okay. and that, how did that happen, Phil? Yeah. It happened like this. We were doing a radio show. KPCC, KP, I don't know something. KPPP, I don't <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, it was. Yeah, just... It was a pisser. And <laughs> and we and we decided to do Nick Danger, Third Eye, as a serial on the radio, be part of the show every week, maybe a 15-minute segment, you know. Sure. So we came down to the studio on Sunday, all prepared for the show, and the studio was locked. And we were locked out, and our keys didn't work. And we, basically what had happened was that overnight... The studio had been taken over, you know, purchased by, uh, I think it was Hasidic cowboy music, you know, <laughs> 24 hours a day. And and we were out. So we said, what are we going to do with this? It's so funny. Yeah. He said, well, we're doing a record and it's got two sides. Does anybody know what that means out there? <laughs> Records used to have two, two sides, sides. Yeah. this side and the other side. And so we said, well, let's put it on the other side, the of, the other side of the record. And it became really a monster hit for us because huge. people knew what we were making fun of. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. more linear. It was linear. Yeah, yeah. Old radio, detective radio shows. Well, I knew what you were making fun what? of. Everything you guys did. But, yeah, but, but you're in terms hip, of the accessible, the, the, the commercial audience. Yeah, yeah you've got to. Yeah, no, exactly what run. you said about not knowing that you were not crazy. Right. Was what, what would I hear from all of the the fans that I've ever talked to? Which is, I thought the way I looked at the world or the way I thought about things, I was crazy until I heard Fireside Theater. Yeah, and then I realized that there were other people, other people like me yeah, who yeah. saw it this way. Right. and then I found other people who saw it that way right. and yeah, had children. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Who are insane. You know, and, we, and, we we made so many of our first uh, deals to do TV and radio together because of Fire Sign Theater. When yeah. I would mention we were working together, and they go, "Oh, we all went to Columbia University, and all yeah. we did is drop acid and listen and to listen Fire Sign Theater." That's what I told Ted. I said, "I hate to say it, but a lot of acid, and the only thing that made sense was Fire Sign Theater." <laughs> Isn't that odd that that we survived? Well, maybe we didn't, but that we all uh, were part of an early drug culture that was really unrestricted. <laughs> Because nobody knew what it was, Bergman uh, had been in Amsterdam working with—I uh, can't remember the guy's name now—who was developing acid. Did Albert uh, Hoffman? Hoffman. Oh yeah. Oh, we were taking street acid. We were taking. And were you doing this where in your home? Home, you... somebody's house. You know, where generally there was some large. I don't know how it was, but there was some house. But they had a back room where you'd sit there, and that's where the stereo was. That's where the Fireside mm. Theater records were. That's where the little man cave or something. All kinds of shit was there. And, and is uh, this what prompted you to go to? Build Disney World. <laughs> yeah. And then I went and I immediately left and went to Disney World. Yeah. Actually, went to Disney World in '72. I, I I just I got out of I did one year at JC and I said I got to get out of here. I got to do something. And my friend had just moved to Florida with his father. He had a construction company. Okay. And he said, "You guys want to come out? You know how it is with friends. You sure. guys can come out here this summer and work for my dad if you want. I don't know. I go, yeah, let's do it. So we all piled into a Volkswagen Bug and went to Orlando and. Worked on the build out to Disney World. I was a cement finisher that. and a rod buster, and 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 then came Southern Life. That was a whole new thing. Yeah, I left California. Now I was in the middle of Southern Rock, and uh, yeah. guys that were all just uh, a lot of pot, you know. Yeah, but kind of. Uh, I can't describe it. <laughs> it no, it was. Yeah. You, you were in New Orleans too. Back Although then. I will, say, I was in New Orleans. I will say one thing about Orlando, Florida, in the early seventies. They had one. They had a jazz club. Okay. They actually had a jazz lounge. I saw Kenny Burrell. I saw Zoot Sims. I saw some great acts in Orlando, Florida in 1973. So cool. maybe that's what Disney World... It was hard to cool. imagine what Orlando was before Disney World. Well, it's like it was like Mayberry, man. It was yeah. just nothing, you know. And, yeah. and there I was. With, I'm, I'm thinking, why did my friend's dad move here other than money? Yeah. You know, uh, but I... Uh, and that was the end of creative life for me because now I was just in this radio career. I wanted to get into radio and I wanted to do radio. And I, and I, you, that was because you were listening to radio and you and said this is cool. Well, and, I want to be and, part of it. Yeah, and I wanted to be uh, like Emperor Hudson and Firesign Theater. We had a morning guy out here, Bob Hudson. Yeah, I who, remember. Bob you remember? Hudson. He was like, "Get off the freeway, peasant." I used to love that whole <laughs> ambience that he created. But I was so locked into. Uh, this first of all, I was in this really repressed env- environment down there. Yeah. And like, what do you want to do? <laughs> well, let me just explain something. 
Uh, you know, no, it's not going to happen here, Phil. Doing all this kind of weird shit. Jesus. Not going to happen. Uh, so <laughs> I, 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 I just spent the next 17 years polishing. Refining that. A professional presence. That's amazing. But not really creating anything. That's so, so radio was a childhood uh, yeah, ever since I was, ever since I was five, five, we were driving to Canada when I was five to visit my my relatives from California in uh-huh. a two tone uh, Mercury with four kids in the back and my mom and dad. And my father said before he died, you know, he said, "I don't know how your mother did it. I, I yeah. just, you know, you're four of you, bra- I mean, children. I mean, I loved you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how she kept you guys quiet through three thousand miles of driving a car." But I remember leaning on that seat at night as my dad was driving, and I'm, that's how tall are you when you can lean on the yeah, back of yeah, the seat? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Listening to that radio and going, this is great. Yeah. I dug how these guys could set a mood and hit that post. Yeah. Like KBCA, the jazz station, which became KGO, they had Tolly Strode. <laughs> anyway, but Tolly had this thing that was, remember that uh, incompetence of the tools by which fools build monuments to nothing. In my book, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Check yours out, see if it don't come out the same. That's that was beautiful. those are some great moments for me, you know. That's yeah, beautiful. and but none of that got translated into anything for for the next twenty years. For the, until I was thirty eight, <laughs> I was living in that restricted. Uh, yeah, but you didn't give up. No, and so something the some something must have fueled your optimism, a hope. Uh, I think probably more I got of fired a burning a, desire to do it. Yeah, yeah but got I got fired. fired up, I got fired a couple of times, and I, I said I I turned thirty eight. I'm going to be forty, man, and I'm going to be sitting here spinning records man i just can't do that so you have to and i know you guys have experienced this you have to say at some point i don't care if the shoot doesn't open i gotta jump but even if you fail yeah you know, i don't know i don't <laughs> said to me you have to speak your truth what if nobody wants to hear it uh, mr griffin well at least you spoke your truth <laughs> <laughs> so. you're listening to the phil and ted sexy boomer show with our special guest phil hendry we'll be right back after this <laughs> Forgive me my flunk. <laughs> this is Jimmy Swaggart for sincere facial tissues. I have sinned again. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. But now I have sincere two-ply tissues for two-time and multiple sinners like me. <laughs> Hallelujah! Sop away the tears of shame and humiliation with sincere facial tissues. I have sinned again. I have sinned again. I have sinned again. It's the Phil and Ted Sexy Boomer Show with your host, Phil Proctor. I'm Ted Bonnet, and today our guest is Phil Hendry. The one piece of praise, and I, I mean this honestly, I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day that I, I don't know what to do with, is, and I honestly, I don't know what to say, is when someone says to me, I was in the pits of depression, mm-hmm. and you, you were the that, only thing that, that saved That happens me. to me, too. What do you say? I, I can't. I charge them. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. Let me write that down. <laughs> sure, you know. <laughs> Pretty good. It's, it's kept me going all these years. A guy no, says to me, it, my wife was in a coma from an automobile accident. The first what? time she laughed is listening to your show. Yeah. No. And I said to him, maybe she just wanna, didn't want to talk to you because I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> and, and, but I, I went home. I, I don't know what to do with that. You know, that's because uh, I don't I'm not doing it for that reason. No, but, it, you, know? you know, that's it's the healing power of of. Uh, of our art, of, of comedy and, and theater. It's the reason why people go into a darkened room with other people and, and see a story. And watch that. Watch a story. Yeah. And, and as, as Ted touched upon, we make movies for the mind. When you create these characters, you're, you're and especially the kind of refined, defined characters that you've created, <laughs> with ha- which has a consistency if, if you follow, if we follow your shows and all of that, we know these people. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys a question about sure. blackface, okay? Audio, because we, and oh, uh, and we yes. have that situation. And um, there was a movie that came out that was absolutely destroyed as well as it should be. I think it won an award at the San Luis Obispo, and then it it went right into the toilet. San Luis Abysmal. Abysmal, yeah. And right. there was some guy who becomes a black female black talk show host, Josephine, and he's doing his voice. He's a white guy. Well, oh the movie was so trashed and so destroyed, as, as like I said, as it should have been. But it got to me thinking about blackface characters 
that I might have been doing. So mm-hmm. I went on Facebook that day and I asked my black listeners, do I do blackface? Because I'm ready to shit can it. Excuse my French if I, if I do. And Comment I... Comment ça en français? C'est pas. <laughs> yeah. Merde, merde can, yeah, je sais pas. But uh, that's great. Thank you. Merci. Uh, so... And the audience said to me, you do characters, you don't do stereotypes. Uh-huh. And I, I, you try to endeavor to do a character. So I have a black college professor named Emery Clayton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An elderly woman who, uh, I'll tell you something, I love John McCain mm-hmm. and I love Donald Trump. Now what are you going to do about that? Go ahead, bring it on. You know, so <laughs> I don't know, but um, I, I wonder if that... Uh, well, what ever they, they, they accepted because they're characters. It's a specific and character. And they're respected yeah. characters. Yeah, it's also what you have to say. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a question, too. It's like, you now, you were on KFI, yeah. which is a conservative talk station. At the time, I, when I went to work for KFI, we had a black general manager named Howard Neal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came on doing a character named uh, Pastor William Rennick, who was a little, he, I, he was based on Hosea Williams out in, in Atlanta. Yeah. And all those preachers work the mic eight miles away. If you ever noticed that, like, welcome to the program, you know, get on mic. Um, But he he busted out the N-word, and Howard said to me, nope. Nope. I don't care what character you're doing, you're not using that. And that's just all there is to it. I said, okay, I, I can understand that. But this was 1999. And now it's very uptight. Yes, it is. When it comes to comedy, well, you're how talking you, about political correctness. How do you play it these well, days? Well, I, I, I think um now things are... What I do now with my little podcast is I just go to goofy places because the whole Donald Trump era has people ready to just set fires, you know, and I don't need to be poking that anymore. And I don't really want to because it's yeah. it's a very humorless world. I don't it, know. It is. You, there's, God knows there's a million things about Donald Trump you can make fun of. No, but a lot of the conservatives yeah. seem to be lacking the, 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 the humor to, gene. Yeah, to see that. The comedy gene. So, like, for instance, today's show, we've got... Um, a, a character I do named Don Berman. Don Berman, Channel 19 News, and we've and it's a very simple thing. It's they've got a new camera called the Deluxe 17. <laughs> oh. The Deluxe 17, which will it 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 it, it shoots Don's face as he does the news, but it rounds things out. There's a little light that oh. glows from behind his eyes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was, like putting Vaseline and, uh, on the lens in the old days. Exactly. Right? So uh, L. Ron Martin is the station manager. We got this because a lot of people, when they look at Don, they're reminded of his drinking problem. And what happens is, <laughs> and I'm Don Bourbon, and I can just see a light, you know. Don Bourbon. What the fuck? You know, it's got nothing to do with anything, but it's just one of those little funny. Like, How often do you do your show now? Every day. I do a... Every uh, yeah. day. So twice, a, twice a week, I'll do an encore show, like from the... Wow. From the you left radio. I did, You yeah. really left radio. 2013. And, yeah. And so now you're strictly online. Audio. Digital. Digital. Yeah. Audio you were ahead digital. of the curve. Yeah. You do this at home. Yeah, I do it in a little studio, studio downstairs uh, in my house. In and, Ventura? Uh, Oxnard adjacent. Uh, Oxnard adjacent. Beautiful. It's so bloody far away. Today, coming here, I give myself two hours. And it's a good thing because I hit traffic on the 101. And you and can I, listen to yourself on the radio. Well, I was listening to GPS going, there's a five-minute slowdown. You uh, can take Woodman. Would you like to? Or whatever it tells you. Yeah, uh-huh. So I take Woodman. I did a series of turns that actually did cut about a minute off my time. Oh, but boy. what it did to my soul and to my mind, you know, just <laughs> yes. doing all these turns and things. Never, you'll I'll never, never get, get that, that back. back. No, no. So oh, we, we, often, <laughs> we often think that the lady who is our GPS voice yes. takes us on certain routes so she can visit her mother. <laughs> You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just what mess are we with doing you here. You know, now you're That's doing right. a uh, a new podcast. Yes, my bank president friend, uh, Mr. Chase, Donnie, right. and that's when I, you guys are doing the boomer thing. I said, out of respect, I want to ask these guys, tell them what we're doing. Yeah. It's almost like you guys are the mafia chiefs, and I want to move in and start working the candy <laughs> store. And just, I was just want to maybe get a taste down in the corner. I don't want to. <laughs> so I asked Phil and, and Ted, and they they gave their blessing. But ours would be different. Don and I want to talk about what it is to be boomers how much we think this generation is responsible for so much that's gone wrong with this ah, country, you know. good. Yeah. And, that, uh, that needs to be told, especially yeah. since they've gotten cynical about this OK Boomers mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> they're, they're kind of creating a turf war, Yeah, you know. Because we are a generation so proud of ourselves, and yet I see at the end of the line here this thing that's sitting in front of us called Trump. So to what extent were we responsible for that, and how can we maybe undo some of that damage? Well, we were so consumed with ourselves, you know, that we kind of missed some things. That's are you gonna, my. Are you going to do it comedically, or I, th- I think it's just going to be a couple of guys talking because I think I, I, I. Yeah, but a couple of guys, a couple of guys, and your co-host. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were talking about acid, I, and I said I'm only half kidding when I think all that acid 
brought us to Donald Trump. I mean, look at the, mm. the people at his crowds. They're all our people, man. They're all like people we probably dropped some acid with. They're mm. all people who were hit. My friend I Paul. Think they were, I think they were people who dropped acid in the carpet and couldn't find it. <laughs> there was a comment in the New York Times today about a diner on the Upper East Side that's closing in New York yeah. and because it's an old school diner. And it's the end of an era because people don't want to go have a hamburger and fries anymore. At the diner, yeah. And mm. there were some comments from the readers saying, you know, I'm glad I experienced all that before it disappeared. To me, it was the golden age of mankind. Now, we did go to other planets. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. did do some remarkable yeah. things. Yeah. It was peak of empire. So I think you can look at it both ways. I just don't know what we did with all of that, man. If we find ourselves at this place now where we're worried about the survival of our democracy, I don't yeah. know what yeah, we the did, planet. man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, it's a I know that we had a lot of great music and we did a lot <laughs> yep. of groovy yep. things, but at the end of the day, what are we handing our kids, man? You know, we, right. we, we tried. Yeah. The, the Firesound Theater was integral to the, uh, the youth revolution yeah. at the time. And it was actually through the youth revolution that I met Peter Bergman because I was there with Peter Fonda and Brandon DeWilda, don't ask, uh, <laughs> for the Sunset Strip riot, as they, they oh, called yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And I, at one point, we were doing, like, the, the cops were on one side, the sheriffs on the other, doing a pincer movement to create a riotous situation. And we all just sat down. We're not going to be moved. Yeah. Sat down on an open issue of the L.A. Free Press, pulled it out from, from under my ass, and there was a picture of Peter Bergman who I'd gone to Yale with, and it said KPFK newsman Peter Bergman interviews returning Vietnam War vets. And that was, I called him the next day, and that was the beginning of, you of guys, Radio Free He said, come on yeah. down and we'll, and we'll, we'll play. Uh, and that's the way things were happening then, all the time, yeah. and really created my destiny and my path in show business. Now, you sound more like you grabbed hold of your destiny and made it Yourself. I had to because I didn't have your courage. And courage. I didn't have your Well, well but you're, I was, you're just I was at a natural you just character. you just threw yourself into the life and I probably did. based you had a, maybe a better family than I I don't know. You I know? had a good family. Good family and, yeah. In the Midwest, I'm of Amish and Irish ancestry. You can't beat and, that. You and know? there were, everybody sang mm -hmm. and harmonized and I was born with that musical ability. Yeah. And and told jokes. Yeah, Wonderful. I grew up with a bunch of judgmental people. Oh. And, you know, but I mean, to the to the boomer thing, I think we've reached a point where we have a new challenge, our generation, which is to lead us out of this. Uh, you know, because the kids yeah. now, the millennials are really resentful of what they've been handed. They're they're, they're pissed. I and, can see uh, that. Don't That's blame right. them. And we don't have to be the assholes that did it. We can still be the That's ones that right. said, "Wow, this is a, another roadblock. We can bust our way through this." Yeah, because you know? it's true. We really tried to. Make change it better, the man. course, yeah. you know, get younger people into yeah. governance, you know, and, and move move things in a different direction right. uh, and, and accept people, the, the diversity of us all. And we didn't make it. We Not all the way, make but it we, politically. Still, we still But we influenced, influenced the because society. We, I, the we probably culture. wouldn't be here now were it not for the fact that we were pushing all those boundaries, you know. I and we, agree and with came that. up against America's settler, the white... Uh, Pioneer, pioneer who's spirit. Like, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I founded this damn country. Now, you <laughs> got to run everything by me. Yeah, that's what I think. What's happening now? We used to run everything by the white guy, and we're not running it by him anymore. Yeah. And he's like really yeah. getting pissed about it. You know, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The white population yeah. think they're an oppressed minority when, then still, in fact, they're 62 percent of the. It's uh, insane. That's yeah. a, that's the most insane it's thought a perception I've ever heard. Issue. An oppressed minority. That's wild. Yeah, but yeah. again, that's been propagandized. Uh, ask the Native Americans. About Hello, that, you know? yeah, come on. Oh, brother, what are yeah. you talking about? I have a good friend who's a Native American medicine man, traditional Lakota, and yeah. uh, you know they, he just renounced his citizenship, uh, really? gave up his social security. He and sixty-five others so far in the tribe. No kidding. And because they are trying to get realize the claim of the Laramie Treaty. It's one hundred and fifty years old, saying they got they're, they're going to get the Black Hills back. I, they got to go back to uh, Alcatraz, as far as I'm concerned. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was hitchhiking through San Francisco. Of course, uh, when I was nineteen, of course, and a right. guy, man, you wouldn't believe it. What happened? Some bunch of Indians took over Alcatraz today. It's heavy, Jack. It's heavy. You <laughs> wow, know? Yeah, I, that was, I forgot I just that. Just happened to get yes. a ride through San Francisco when they, when they uh, did that. You're listening to the Phil and Ted Sexy Boomer Show with us, our special guest Phil Hendry. It's the Phil and Phil and Ted. It's the Phil Phil Ted. It's a great honor. Phil Phil Ted. It's a great honor. With the internet now, it, it's so empowering. It is truly one man, one channel now. And because yep. he, he, TV or not TV, you, know, <laughs> you can go against iHeart, hugely funded companies with a lot of shows. But if you have a good show, and as long as there's net neutrality, 
you have an equal footing, True, and, much, and yeah. it's all non-exclusive. I mean, you can distribute your your content in any way you want through any number of channels. And yeah, and you have to know how to do it. And so it's it's a place for natural storytellers like actors and writers and performers. And I know a lot of kids who did none of that, but they were technical geeks, and they'd mm -hmm. get into it and say, I don't understand. I'm on all the right platforms, and we, <laughs> we, we advertise on iTunes. How come we don't have any listeners i said because your show sucks yeah, man right, you, gotta, show sucks. you gotta get some stuff in there for people to want to listen to right. you know and the competition is astounding it's pretty if pretty you think heavy, about yeah. it it's yeah. like you know blah, blah, blah. there's now close to nine hundred thousand podcasts maybe a hundred or two are actually in production you mean currently being produced yes. yeah and then and then when you look at it it's like acting 97 percent don't make any money yeah yeah when you're doing internet you have the multiples, the scale of millions of people yeah. and the viral. If you use now, there's artificial intelligence working to propagate. There's so many ways to get stuff out. Really, all you have to have is an original idea. The artificial intelligence stuff scares me because I was listening to a... Uh, I, I go on YouTube and I watch these crime documentaries because that's mm -hmm. how weird I am, you know. And they have the narration now is... Aha, I can tell oh, that's fake. Oh. It's, it's a woman's voice. But, and another thing, the other day, Aha, yeah. uh, uh -huh, yeah, you dirty rat, you put an artificial intelligence voice on me there. You know? Oh. Yeah. Well, I think this is an era that is ruled by artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> if Nothing. I may be so bold. Yeah, this is a golden age of artificial intelligence. It's a golden <laughs> age of artificial intelligence. <laughs> Well, well true it. we should probably wrap up. This yeah, is a blast. <laughs> we should do this without microphones, with just glasses yeah, we, of we, gin or something. Yes. You know, that'd be a we, lot of we fun. Will. Phil Henry, thank you so much, Ted and Phil. Honor to have you. Oh, I, I had a blast. I had a blast. Kevin Pollack interviewed me for uh, his yes, little chat show. Yes, yes, I did his show, yes. And, yeah, and I had a ball until, that was the most fun I've had until today. Oh, oh. how very nice to hear. And, uh... It just it, it's fun to be able to just talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, yeah. you know, as opposed well, to being. Well, will you come to... back and? Oh yeah, and, yeah, and we yeah. and keep us posted on. I'll your keep podcast. coming back till people start going. You're having Henry back. Yeah, yeah, Phil Proctor, Phil Henry, thank you so Ted much. Monix, Thanks, Ted. Thank you so much. Join us next time for another episode of Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts Phil Proctor, that's me, and yours truly, Ted Bonnet. Bye for now. You've been listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, featuring Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet, with special guest Phil Hendry. Steve Bozell and Ted's Steakhouse of Beverly Hills were written and performed by Phil Hendry. Waiting for the Electrician or Someone Like Him was written and performed by the Firesign Theater. Sincere Facial Tissues was written and performed by Patrick Weathers. Music by Eddie Betos and the Nervous Brothers. I'm a Ernest Guy. Join us for the next episode of Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, produced by RadioPictures.com, the makers of fine podcasts for boomers. Okay? Hello, Seekers! If you like what you just heard, share it with your friends. If you still have any. And here's a great gift idea, Phil. Thanks, Ted. Uh, and, and dear friends, if you can afford a couple of bucks from the money you used to pay for gas, please go to our dedicated page at SexyBoomerShow.com and contribute by clicking on the PayPal button. And you don't even have to wear a mask. Uh, unless, Ted, it's an anonymous donation. You see, our nefarious plan is to build enough subscribers to earn sponsor support so we can send your money back. Yes, send your money back. Not! And if you need any more of the Sexy Boomer Show to survive this historic time hunkered in your bunkers, please subscribe to our podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on this page. You know, every subscription brings us closer to success and forces us to record another silly show. You can follow our Sexy Boomer Show on In Your Facebook to join the conversation and even add comments. At a safe distance. Just search Sexy Boomer Show on Facebook. And remember, now more than never, your vote counts. Unless we don't count them. You can always reach Phil and me personally by email at info at sexyboomershow.com. That's right, Ted. We check our junk mail every day. And you can check our website at sexyboomershow.com to learn more and find past podcasts and all sorts of little goodies. Or if you're a twitwit, track us on Twitter for upcoming show announcements and special messages at Boomer Sexy. We're everywhere. 
like the virus. But we promise not to kill you. So until we meet again, we're going back to the shadows again. So long, little buddies. Where the vegetables are green and you can pee into the stream. And that's important. We're going back to the shadows again. Mm -hmm.